0: Welcome to Spirit's Podcast, a boozy dive into mythology, legends, and folklore. Every week we pour a drink and learn about a new story from around the world. I'm Amanda. And I'm Julia. And this is episode 126, Your Urban Legends, part 21, baby.
1: Remember last time we did an Urban Legends episode, I told you 21 is the gnarly number. I meant 30, but still very (laughs) excited about this episode. It's going to be fun. Still very excited. My
0: baby brother and sister just turned 21. And uh, it was such a wild occasion. I remember their birth. Uh, Yeah, isn't that wild? How how the age happens? Yeah, wild, wild time. Well, Julia, you know who is uh, both ageless and timeless. Is it our new patrons? Our new patrons, Fizzer and Willow, who truly have wonderful names. Great A plus. I love it. And our supporting producer level patrons, Philip, Julie, Eeyore, Mercedes, Samantha, Christopher, Kathy, Vinny, Danica, Marissa,
1: Sammy, Josie, Neil, Jessica, Bill Fresh, and Deborah. You all just are timeless. You you are the Jeremy Barrame of the world.
0: Absolutely. And that little that little dot over the Jeremy Barrame are legend level patrons. Haley, Sarah, P, James, Jess, Sarah T, Sandra, Audra, Jack, Marie, and Leanne.
1: Like Cheedy, you break us, but with your generosity.
0: Have has uh, someone been watching The Good Place?
1: Not even. <laughs> it's just it always just in your mind. Sticks in my mind.
0: Of course. Well, I uh, I'm always down for a rewatch of a great show, especially with with a nice uh, brew in hand. I almost said brewski. I think because I was thinking about being twenty one on Long Island. <sighs> Boy. Moving on, Julia, tell us what you were drinking during this episode.
1: Um, so one of my favorite brewing companies is Westbrook Brewing. Uh, yes. They got me into Goza's. I love a Goza. I love a sour. They have a limited run that I saw it in the store. One, okay, I went to the store to pick up more beer for myself. And I picked up two sours. And then I was wandering over to the limited release section. And there was two guys in the store. And they looked at me. They're like, so you really hate sours, huh? And I'm just like, <laughs> thank you, sir. And then they recommended this beer to me, which is called Zeus Juice. What? How did we not know? I know, right? So Westbrook, my favorite brewing company, put out Zeus Juice, which is a combo of a sour and a fruit ale. It is very good, super tropical, also a little bit salty. Kind of reminds me of being on a Caribbean island during the summer. So I'm down for it.
0: Oh, man, that's amazing. And we aren't getting into shandy weather. We're getting into sour weather, which is super exciting. I love shandy weather. God. And uh, Jules, what have you been like, I don't know,
1: watching or reading or listening to as you sip your Zeus juice? You know me, I'm always listening to new podcasts. So I have a new audio fiction recommendation for you. It is called Harlem Queen. It is a historical fiction podcast about Stephanie St. Clair, who was a crime boss in Harlem during the Prohibition era. I was like going up against the mafia and having turf wars. And she was very, very cool. She died in like her... 80s still like super wealthy and living in Harlem and like best friends with Langston Hughes. It's great. That's amazing. I love that so much. Yeah. And the whole first season is out right now. So you could probably find it on any podcatcher. It's just Harlem Queen.
0: I love that. And in fact, maybe I'll be downloading it for our plane trip since Julia, you and I are leaving for Ohio to finally encounter the Spaghost at the Spaghetti Warehouse uh, about two days from when this episode comes
1: out. Yeah, we're going. We're gonna sit in the trolley car. We're gonna have some penny Alfredo, and it's gonna be a great, great time. If I don't sit in the trolley car, I
0: am going to invoke every spirit I've ever heard of, all 126 of them, and uh, and plus more in the roundups, because I I need that trolley car. I, need I mean, we're that gonna creepy wood paneling around me when I eat my bread. I mean, we're gonna call
1: ahead and book the trolley car, right? Like that's our game plan.
0: Uh, That sounds like a great thing for someone to take care of. Yes, we should add to our to-do list.
1: (laughs) Yes, perfect. We can, upon arriving in Ohio, we can book that trolley car.
0: Beautiful. And uh, for anyone in the Akron area, Cleveland or Akron, come on down. We are having a meetup on Saturday after we have our spaghetti warehouse lunch, assuming that we make it. So you can find details for that and for our upcoming live performance in Nashville
1: on Live. Yeah, come see us. We're, we're a lot of fun in person, not just in your ears, also in person. I'm very tall. Julia is of average height
0: and people always remark on that. I'm very small. <laughs> Just prepare yourselves. And you know, there may be I don't know more things being added. I don't know to that page soon. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see. watch the space as we used to say. Well, without further ado, enjoy spirits podcast episode 126, your urban legends part 21. Julia, Eric, welcome to another urban legends episode. Thank you for Thank having you. us. I wanted to ask either of you. We know that Eric has some terrifying sleepwalking uh, behaviors in his recent past. Some um, completely
2: normal sleepwalking. Uh-huh. Sure, sure. Behaviors. Yep. Okay.
0: Whatever. Uh, but did either of you
1: like say creepy things or make creepy art as children that you know of? I don't think I did creepy art, like you know the classic horror movie trope where the child draws the the mm-hmm. creepy figure behind the family that oh, looks yeah. like a shadow man. I don't think I ever did that.
2: <laughs> I don't think I did anything similar as well. I think I most of my art and and words that I said were of a typical uh, non creepy child.
0: Well, I wanted to ask just because now I have to ask these things, knowing that there might be creepy behaviors in all of our pasts. That just once again you know, not creepy, mm. Come mm. completely a normal creepy.
2: thing that lots of children do. Nope, <laughs> didn't even do a cre- didn't even do a creepy thing. While y- what your clay is creepy, just walked walked into a different room, and went to bed there.
1: Yes, but also did that and then stopped immediately after you moved out of that house.
2: Okay, well, then in that case, the not sleepwalking is honestly creepier I, than the sleepwalking I disagree,
1: itself. but all right. <laughs> well, I
0: do have a story here from a listener about being a creepy child and seeing creepy things. So this comes from Guy, who says that he is a 19-year-old gay Guy, with capital G, which is a name gender pun that works best in written form. I appreciate it. And he writes, I work for my mother, a property manager, doing painting and renovations between tenancies. I recently found your podcast through Potterless, and I've been having a pretty benign but still very weird precognitive dream situation for years. My main focus is the precognition, but I do still want to mention the shadow man I've been seeing recently because it's far creepier and very apt for spirits.
1: <sighs> the, the recently always gets me. Like, yeah. like, oh, yeah, not when I was like a small child. Oh, right, like last week, shadow man. Mm-hmm.
0: This is also a great example of an email that says they have experienced multiple things and then tells us about all of those things. So oh, very much you. appreciated, guy.
2: That's the key.
0: We don't want to be left hanging. My first experience seeing the world in a dream before it happened was when I was a wee little seven-year-old kid in second grade. It was a few weeks before the real thing that I had a dream of one of the days that our teacher gave out goodies in exchange for tickets we earned through grades, raising our hand to speak in class, etc. A couple notable details I was able to pick up on were that the teacher was at the moment grabbing all of the bins and stuff out of the rolling cabinet while us kids circled around, and one of my classmates was missing. I had that feeling of lucid dreaming, that brain fog that when you lift the veil, you possibly can control the dream. And I said out loud, this isn't real. My teacher gave me a weird look and said something, though I'd forgotten or maybe I never really knew. This happened before, I said. I knew it. I saw it. Everything seemed to blur or dissolve away, and like that, I was awake and promptly forgot it, like you do. Fast forward a few weeks. When the real day came, I saw the exact same thing, at least at the start. A classmate was out sick, teacher was pulling out the bins, everyone was clustered in a wide circle around so we could grab what we wanted, and I even recognized people's placements around the circle. None of the dialogue matched except my very first thought. This isn't real. Now, I didn't say this aloud, just in my head, but I only had a strong sense of deja vu until I realized I'd previously dreamt this. And I know for a fact that this day actually happened. I did a pinch test and it didn't wake me up. Later that day, I also had a spelling quiz, as second graders are wont to have. I got the grade the day after and did pretty well. But after that, I was uncertain what to do about the dream, though not really scared since it was a pretty simple thing that I thought was coincidental. But repeats of situations like this are too damn consistent and elaborate, let alone a few including places I'd not been to
1: before to have been a coincidence. Do, do you guys get a lot of deja vu? Because I personally have deja vu like all the time. Every few weeks.
2: Yeah, I, I have it like once every month or so probably.
1: Yeah, I have it like once or twice a week probably or something like that. I don't know. I like I like it. It's like a really cool feeling and I feel like I have superpowers whenever it happens. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Um. It's it's great. It's a great feeling.
0: That's one of those things, like when you're asked to describe colors, uh, you just your brain freezes and you're like, I do not know anything. Uh, and when I'm asked to describe the feeling of deja vu, I feel the exact same way. Like there's absolutely nothing to say that can evoke the freaking weird feeling in your body and brain. Well, Guy continues, at this point, I've had several of these dreams. All of them have been benign in content and context, so I'm not afraid of some demonic or otherworldly shit going down. Mm -hmm. I've kept this almost entirely to myself over the years, though once one of my friends and I had the same precog moment around the same time, though we never really followed up. While everything is mostly still a mystery to me, here are a few rules I figured out over the years regarding the dreams. 1. They always do that fade away desync where the moment stuff starts to move, it starts to get fuzzier with every second. So I focus and extract details of what's nearby to be on my mind in the future. Two, everything after the start of the dream is not exactly what will happen, but instead branches off from reality the moment it starts, which I thought was really fascinating, y'all, because this whole idea of like splinter universes, you know, that like splinter off after moments. I love the idea that you'd be able to predict a future only as far as like setting up a scenario. And then after that, it will go how it goes.
1: Yeah, I like the concept of like fixed points in time and then it could go any sort of way. Yeah. And then third related to that, no dialogue ever matches quite right. So over time
0: and minimal experience, as these dreams are rare and random, I've gotten a bit better at getting intricacy of the scenario and knowledge of where I am in each subsequent dream. So they get more uh, intricate over time. Interesting. The one before last was me alone in a unit my mom manages today, that a year and a half ago when I had the dream, she hadn't ever spoken to the owner and had never been in. Ooh. I'd never been there, and yet I saw the living room as it would eventually become. Out of my future, question mark, mind... Weird as that is to say, I got the name of the city it was in and nothing else, probably because of the obscurity of it all. But now I get to the juicier bit. My last dream was some months ago, and I remember it clearly. I was in yet another unit in a different apartment building, specifically painting a small bedroom where the carpet was torn out to reveal cement subfloor. That meant that I knew I was on the ground floor. My sister was behind me somewhere, I was hearing about the time of the invention of the radio, and I had the weird sense that someone had recently died there. I had a small panic attack with that last detail, probably weirded out my mom with a subtle nagging question about the tenants. The thing was, though, that someone did die at the apartment building I dreamt of, not a year prior to my dream. So, Julia shaking her head with a grimace. Don't like. So I was unsure of if this was truly a precog dream or my brain manifesting a memory like this one.
1: See, precognition is all fun and games until you start, like... <laughs> having memories of deaths that haven't happened yet. That's not good. I don't like that. Well,
0: in this case, Guy was unsure because I didn't help with the turnover of that man's unit. So that's not what the dream was about. And this is where the Shadow Man comes in. Mm-mm. Let's Great.
2: call- Great. It's involved. It's it's like it's a related Shadow <laughs> good. Man. Good. That's good. I thought it was Great. a separate- just, unrelated just like man. I
1: have weird dreams and also a shadow man is following oh me. no no these these crossover is the crossover event of the century and fucking tastic go
0: on let's call the first dead tenant a oh, <laughs> no. yeah my dream was about a different one a few times now I've seen what I could only describe as A's shadow man whenever I'm cleaning the halls I turn and look only seeing the dark shape of a tree on the wrong side of the window at the end of the hallway that's not good Now, I selected this email because I have never thought of trees uh, and shadows as being particularly creepy, like shadows of trees. But here we are. Well, that's because you've never seen
1: Poltergeist or Evil Dead 2.
0: But
2: No. You've never seen a creepy tree shadow? That's like, I would say creepy tree shadow is like top five creepy shadows. I
1: find witches
0: incredibly calming. So I just picture like a crone's hand with long fingernails when I see a tree shadow. And I'm like, yes, hello. Hi, Mom. What's up? I try to get a good look, but whenever I move, he disappears. And besides the lurker aspect, A has never been creepy to me, but I think he gives off a bad aura to the tenants who have moved in after his death, as no one has stuck around more than a year since in that unit. Maybe people who leave when their lease is up are afraid to call the place haunted. My mom did buy, but never burned, some sage to try to warn him off. I (laughs) doubt... It's
1: it's one step that you probably need to take. <laughs> Got to do that
0: follow through. Got to stick the landing. I doubt that would do more than bother him though. He probably needs a proper send-off. So I'll see about setting out two coins for the ferryman next time I'm in there. Good However, choice. I also have a theory that maybe A became the building's grim I super suggest you do an episode about spirits like the Churchyard Grimm, if you haven't already, who were the people or animals to die and be the first one buried in a given cemetery that would then act as protectors and guides for newly passed souls on their way to the afterlife. And we did!
1: Yes, in our episode
0: that Soha did about the year walk. Go to our website, it is a very good episode. Since many of the tenants are older, maybe the guy who died young wants to help those who die older to travel over to the dead's realm. Regardless, it's been nearly a year and a half since my dead tenant dream. As with all my other precog dreams, wouldn't you know it, someone passed away at the apartment building recently. Let's call him B. This time, the guy is older, died peacefully at his time in his sleep, and hasn't stuck around. We made sure to open windows to allow B's spirit and his nearly absurd obsession with the smell of garlic out of the apartment, which, by the way, he had everywhere, including inside the AC unit. I doubt B will be haunting there, as I'd have noticed him by now with all the painting I've done since his unit was cleaned out. Speaking of, I had my dreams situation happen to me the first day I worked there. I was in B's old bedroom painting the far wall. My sister was in the living room behind the opposite wall, thus behind me. A guy had recently died there. And, hang on to your butts, friends... I was listening to Spirits, Hometowns, Urban Legends, number 13 at the time, when you mentioned that radios were invented prior to 1918. Oh my god. Oh this my is god, what made me write so out a long creepy. ass note about it. We did it, guys. We we, we appeared in a
1: precognitive dream before I think the episode even came out. I think I think we can end the podcast now. I think that's I the think dream. I think we're done. We're, we're, we, we did it. We're going to become spaghetti ghosts and, and ascend to heaven.
0: Yeah. Eric's
2: already one step of the way. Don't think that's how it worked.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Believe, Eric. Believe. So Guy finishes, this is what made me write out a long ass note about it since this is no coincidence that I was listening to spirits of all podcasts, let alone an urgent, let alone an urban legends episode when the moment of my precognitive dream happened. I also hadn't even heard of Potterless or Spirits since I learned about Spirits from Potterless at the time I had the dream. So this time I finally got a somewhat exciting outcome from a precognitive experience.
1: Wow. Okay. That's a lot to take in. I'm very, I'm flustered right now.
0: I feel so alive. I feel like I could run a marathon. (laughs) I showed up in somebody's dream. I'm so ready. If you have dreams about any of us that only involve you listening to the podcast and... Nothing on the creepy side vis-a-vis imagining us in social situations because- The one situation
2: where you cannot stay creepy. You can only (laughs) only stay cool. cool. (laughs) Only be cool about us dreams we're involved in.
0: In any case, if they fit all of those scenarios and my mom wouldn't be creeped out hearing about it, I would love to hear about it. That is very, very cool. I like that a lot. So that is Guy. Thank you so much, Guy.
2: That was a a lot of twists and turns in that (sighs) one. There's so much going on. I have a story called "The Curse of Snake Stump." I thought you're just gonna be
1: like the curse. I'm like sweet. I'm in. Okay, <laughs> that's good the, enough. The Snake Stump. Added bonus.
2: This email comes to us from Paris, and they write, "Hey Amanda, hey Julia, I want to tell you Aww. an hey, Eric. urban legend. <laughs> hey, Eric. It's fine. I don't."
0: Well, they're writing it in your I, voice, Eric, so that you can talk to yeah, us. Yeah, mm-hmm. they wrote it
2: for me to read, obviously. Clear. I also take no offense. Like, you guys are the host of the show. I'm on once a month. It's fine, legitimately. I want to tell you an urban legend from my corner of the Australian capital.
1: Mm. I don't know what the Australian capital is. What's... It's
2: maybe Perth. Is it? Maybe.
1: <laughs> I'm going to Google. Hold on. Of... <laughs> Apparently, it's Canberra. It's Canberra, what? yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: Okay. I didn't know that. Well, I was right. It might have been Perth.
0: Well, it's it's one of those things where it's like slightly more centrally located than Melbourne or Brisbane or Sydney or the other places that you would think. Um, but it, yeah, it's it's not a thing that people know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Paris continues. At my primary school, there were extensive sections of bush all around the perimeter called the Growing Homes. And no children... Well also, that's creepy that just is, from yeah. the jump. Also, it's capital G, capital H in Growing Homes. Uh-oh.
1: Don't like it.
2: And no children were allowed to cross the boundary into them under any circumstances. As an adult, I understand why. Canberra is... There you go. The answer was in the email. <laughs> Cadbara is full of extremely deadly snakes and spiders who love to nap in the undergrowth ready to bite unsuspecting children in the ankle. All those things that you've heard about Australia, they're kind of true. And kids can be pretty destructive to the native flora when they want to be. But as a child, we all felt the mystical draw of the forbidden wilds. I get it. And no wonder this is some fairy ass shit. Yes. Anyway, So deep in the growing homes, there was one enormous stump, taller than me when I was 8 and almost 2 meters, 6-ish feet, across. The tree had been cut down long before the school was there, but it must have been an incredible sight. This was Snake Stump. There was this skinny track through the bush leading to it, worn deep from generations of kids leading their classmates to the stump. It was a rite of passage, every student at some point would be dragged there by an upperclassman and dared to touch the stump. It was a dare because, as everyone knew, Anyone who touched Snake Stump would be cursed to have something bad happen to them for the next few days. Also, something bad capitalized the the first letters of that, Uh-oh. which makes that seem like a. But it's like something bad is very. Uh, I'm not really worried about someone saying something bad, but the fact that it's capitalized makes it seem like it is a very specific something mm. bad, like a proper noun something bad. Yeah. And of course, this was a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you tripped and grazed your knee or lost your favorite pencil case or your goldfish mysteriously died, well, you know why. The curse of Snake Stump. Mm. But whatever bad thing happened to you, it was a relief because then the curse was fulfilled and you didn't have to worry anymore unless you touched it again.
1: (laughs) Don't do that.
2: The story behind it is pretty simple, but definitely reminds me of European fairy folklore. The legend goes that this big old tree was once the biggest in the bush and therefore home to a local spirit who took the form of a snake. One day a man came and chopped it down, angering the spirit. Don't do that. (laughs) The snake now lives in the stump, a A sad shell of former glory, causing any humans who touched the precious carcass of its once magnificent home. It could have been a projection of our fears of being killed by a brown snake in the bush, but who knows. Maybe there really was a local snake spirit who protected the area, and maybe it really is angry that white people paved its kingdom a hundred years ago. It's a good example of why primary school was so painful as any. Thanks for making my life so much creepier and cooler, guys. Love from Australia, Paris.
1: Here's a question because I grew up in the suburbs of Long Island where there are not a lot of deadly creatures around. Can you imagine my level of anxiety if I had to worry about, well, I can't play in the forest today because I might get bitten by an incredibly venomous snake and die.
0: Yeah, like I'm pretty anti-outside just because of mosquitoes. I get it. (laughs) And and that is a... You know, painless at the time and super not permanent. Uh, bug human interaction.
2: Yeah, that is that is not not great. I was once not attacked but scared by a snake on a very bad vacation that my family had. I would argue a cursed vacation. Tell but, me that. Uh, Where'd you it, go? So, so we went to uh went to Tybee Island in one of the Carolinas, a place that where Justin McElroy loves and I. Fucking hate. I was gonna say oh, that's no. the only
1: reason I've heard of it before
2: here's here's a list of at least three things that happened on this vacation first on the way there our car ovals caught fire and what? my little tiny my little tiny bunny rabbit plush toy that was like my comfort animal was it was i left it in the car when our dad pulled over and said everybody out of the car oh, no. and what? we just had to stand on the side of a highway and he wouldn't let me run back to the car to get the thing i mean probably understandably. For... yeah it, it, the car was like legitimately smoking oh, no. uh so we had to like get a lift by some like random lady in a jeep to take us to the hotel while my dad got the car fixed then uh the snake uh, a tiny garter snake jumped out and scared me and then what happened was this is when like sand shoes were like a thing back in like the early 90s and uh, i wore them to the beach and the thing is if you wear those to the beach and you get sand in them you get blisters on all 10 of your toes and can't walk for the remainder of the vacation and are just in constant pain eric it was just a bad vacation for like there was a few other things, too. I think my mom like saw a cockroach on the wall. Just like, uh, like we all look back, I'd be like, wow, what a bad <laughs> week. Like it was vacation and it sucked ass.
1: I'm going to tell you some cool and creepy urban legends, but first, let's get a refill. Let's do it.
0: Jules. It is especially springtime, uh, which for me means just another season that is very appropriate to do a deep clean of your house. I've been enjoying it. I've been throwing out my expired toiletries, recycling them responsibly, I should say. I have been, you know, going through my pantry and using the stuff in my freezer and just, of course, Con my clothes and saying to myself, Amanda, what do we want to bring forth into this new season? And I'm not going to lie to you, Julia. Almost everything I kept is from Stitch Fix. <gasps>
1: I love Stitch Fix.
0: I love them too. They are the easiest way to get new clothing that fits your body, your budget, your lifestyle. That includes accessories. have this beautiful yellow crossbody purse that I wear all the time because I love it from Stitch Fix. And shoes, and of course, clothing.
1: Yeah, I just got a box from Stitch Fix. I love it. They sent me one, a like... T-length style dress which I would never pick out for myself because I feel like they always make me look stumpy but this one like fit my body perfect and looked really nice on me and they also sent me a jumper, which I would never pick a jumper for myself because, again, they always make me look stumpy. But this one's just high-waisted enough that it makes my legs look super, super long. I love it.
0: that's awesome. And again, I think you're going to have a great choice more often than not. But just in case something in the box doesn't fit you or you don't love it or you have something just like it, you can send things back to Stitch Fix and you only pay for what you keep. Shipping, exchanges, and returns are always free, and the deal is that they charge you a $20 styling fee to send each box, but if you keep even one thing, that $20 gets applied toward the price of the item. So as long as you keep one thing, shipping is always totally free.
1: It's great. I love Stitch Fix a lot, and I am looking forward to seeing what they pick out for my summer wardrobe.
0: Mm, Me too. And listeners, you can get started today at stitchfix.com slash spirits to get an extra 25% off when you keep everything in your box. Yeah, again, that is
1: stitchfix.com slash spirits.
0: stitchfix.com slash spirits. Three times. Three times. And Jules, while we're on the topic, I also got rid of all of the like socks and underwear and pajama shirts and bathing suits and various things that I didn't really care for. And you know what socks I kept? They were were the Bombas socks. Of course, the Bombas socks are great. They are very, very good. As you know, I have giant feet. And you cannot always find like cute patterned, soft, like well-fitting arch-supporting socks for size 12 or 13 feet. Um, but Bombas has them. And my favorite part—they have a seamless toe, so you don't have that that seam like digging into your your cuticle. Oh, it's very, very bad. And the cushioned footbed is comfy but not too thick. They have like long ones, knee length, you know, kind of office length, like dress pant, and also short ones, so that in this season of you know beautiful sneakers and, and nice weather here in New. York, I'm able to even wear my stylish short socks.
1: I burn through socks at the gym so frequently, but I have not worn through a pair of Bombas socks yet, and I really, really appreciate the well-made craftsmanship of them. Absolutely. And y'all, today you can
0: try Bombas at bombas.com slash spirits for 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash spirits for 20% off. Bombus.com slash spirits. And send us pics. We want to see the adorable socks that you buy. Yeah, I love the honeycomb ones.
1: Amanda, I am here to talk about Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning community for creators, and there are over 25,000 classes, and they are there to fuel your curiosity, your creativity, and your career. Now, Amanda, I've mentioned it on the show a couple of times. I'm learning how to wrestle that's yeah, you pretty are. cool. I really enjoy wrestling. The one thing I'm not actually very good at, which would surprise some people, I'm not super good at public speaking. And so I started taking a class called presentation essentials how to share ideas that inspire action and one of the really big things about wrestling is you need to cut promos so basically you have to convince these people hey i'm important you should come see me at this show at this time on this date and i want to get really good at that and by taking this presentation essentials class i am learning skills about how to convince people to come see me wrestle
0: That is such a lovely application of that class, and I can't wait to see you wrestle in person soon.
1: Yeah, it's going to be really, really cool. But if you're not learning how to wrestle, there are a bunch of other Skillshare classes for you. You can get stuff in social media marketing, mobile photography, creative writing, illustration, anything like that. You can learn professional skills, stuff to make your side hustle a little bit better, start a new passion It's all great. So if you go to Skillshare.com slash Spirits2, you can get two free months of Skillshare premium. And you can get all of their classes. You can take anything you'd like. It is very, very cool. Again, that is Skillshare.com slash Spirits2 for two free months of Skillshare premium. Thank you, Skillshare. And now let's get back to the show. So um, I have an email titled very simply Puerto Rican Urban Legends. And I was very excited to open it. Yes, uh, and this comes from Julio, and Julio says, "I'm a recent fan of your show, and now because of me, my roommate is also a fan. Thank Yay! you, Julio. Spread Doing the good the work.
2: work. Thank you. Spread, spread that show around. Tell your friends.
1: Uh, while he decided to listen to Spirits from the beginning, I decided to go for the most recent, all the way to the start, and it's been a fun experience seeing how much the show has grown. I think so too.
2: It's, that's the correct way to listen to podcasts as well. You have to always be listening to the most recent episodes.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I, I I do like a bell curve edition and go from mm-hmm. the beginning and like from the beginning and then when there's a new episode, do the new episode. So that's yes, smart. That I is I like the correct
2: that. way to listen to podcasts.
1: He also said, it's rare to try and put a modern spin explanation or lesson from ancient myths, but you guys do it perfectly. I started listening to your show mid-semester, so I've been holding back on talking to you about urban myths and legends until I had time to sit down and write. Yesterday, I finished my semester, handed in my composition portfolio, and now I'm sitting drinking coquito, which is a Puerto Rican Christmas drink made of a base of coconut cream, coconut milk, and a healthy portion of rum, which sounds delicious. Someone make me coquito. It's like better and vegan eggnog. I, uh, I usually don't like coconut, but that sounds really, really good. Eric just picked up the dog in the camera, and now I'm very excited. Sorry, Julie. I'm going to switch my camera to be Eric. I
0: understand okay. it. I get it. Eric, please, honey, give me a good angle. Thank you. <laughs> there he
1: is. We've got,
2: we've got Henry on the mic. <laughs> oh, my right? God.
1: <laughs> so Julio continues, I submit to you three stories for your consideration. The first one is kind of scary. The second one is kind of creepy. And the last one is kind of cool. So let's get started, shall we, team? The first one is called La Leyenda del Yaco. It wasn't until recently that I tried to search for it online and found that it was an actual thing from Puerto Rican culture, albeit a small rural tale. So it talks about someone who was alone one night walking through the mountains in our town of Yaco, where each night he had to cross a lake, Vega Lake, to get to his house. Now, the lake is creepy enough without mentioning that because it used to be the seat of a small village that flooded after the river took its natural course. But in that night, it was even more so because a very dense fog settled around him while he was waiting in his boat. It got to the point where he couldn't see more than a few feet around him. Desperate, the man started looking through his pockets and the other things he carried for something that could light the way, something he could burn with a couple of matches that he had just found. After a quick search, it crossed his mind that the only flammable thing he carried was the wooden cross from his house. I don't know why you're carrying your cross in your boat, but you do you he thought for a moment that if he could actually think about doing something so sacrilegious and horrible even to cut across the river safely and get to his family without another thought he cast the cross a flame and waded safely to shore and got safely to his house after a few years he fell gravely ill and died It is said that sometimes around the river or through the mountains, a big jet or ball of light can be seen hovering quickly and following people only to disappear after people take notice of it. People say that it is the soul of the man that after arriving in heaven, St. Peter would not let him inside until he collects all of the remaining ashes of the cross he burned and is doomed to spend the rest of his days looking for it. Oh, yeah. A big one as a side he says now after looking it up online i found a few variations in another town in puerto rico i found one exactly like this although instead of a regular man it was a fisherman who went to sea to fish something for his starving family to eat and had to burn the cross after hearing a cold disembodied voice in his ears say light the cross and use its glow to take you home and his actual ghost is usually seen on the beach or at sea hmm. yeah so I like that. I'm a fan of creepiness. Uh, the second story is called The Girl of the Dance. Now, this story was told to me by my dad when I was very little. and This it- one
2: can't be creepy. No. It sounds so pleasant. So pleasant. I guarantee nothing... Terrible will happen.
1: Girls and dancing? Hell yeah. Now, this was a story that was told to me by my dad when I was very little, and it always stuck with me, and I needed to share it with your creepy cool circle. The story starts with a young man who is at a town party and enjoying his time very much when a beautiful girl approaches him and starts talking to him. They get along super well and dance the night away with his friends, having the time of their lives. When it got very late and the party started dying down, he offered to take her home, to which she agreed. While leaving the party, she was a bit chilly and he gave her his tuxedo jacket and kissed her. Oh. Romantic. Can't, Can't possibly go wrong from here. No, no. He drove her to her house and saw her go inside before leaving. The next day he woke up and realized she had kept his jacket and it was a rental. Oh no. I was just thinking, oh
0: no, you don't want to not be able to return your tux, but it is it's very chivalrous and nice.
1: <laughs> Hurriedly he drove back to her house and knocked on the door. Five minutes the later, house,
2: the house is not going to. Oh, well, I guess I was going to say the house isn't going to be there, but obviously they've already <laughs> she, made it to the she house. He knocked
1: on the door <laughs> after the ghost diner, though. Anything, anything could That's be exactly, true. Yeah. true
0: of buildings. Yeah.
1: Five minutes later, an old woman answered the door, and he explained to her his predicament and asked to see her daughter.
2: The old lady is her. I'm gonna I'm gonna call this one real quick.
1: After listening to him, the woman started crying and yelped, My daughter has been dead for four years. How could you have seen her? He was completely taken aback. He made sure it was the same house, and it was... The old woman, while holding back a small sob, showed him a picture of her daughter. He saw it and stared at the very same girl with whom he had danced with the night before. She was buried at the new extension of the municipal cemetery. And the woman said that before telling her the specific name and date of birth. Confused and downright scared, the young man drove to the cemetery uh, and hurried over to where the old woman said her daughter's tomb was. Although the task had been a hard one in the town cemetery where there were so many people buried, it was easy enough to find. Why? Because on the tomb of the girl with whom he had danced the night away and with whom he had thought he had started something good was the exact same jacket he wore and had rented. Buck. Yes,
2: this is a good story. That is I was wrong one. both times in my guesses, but I saw this one actually
0: coming. It's very good.
1: Wow, it's very good. Now, for the third story, I've resorted to something kind of nice that my roommate Jose told me. So He says, The night before my great-grandmother died, she had a dream. She lived in a Christian rural town in Puerto Rico at the top of a mountain. Well into her 70s, she was living happily with her children, grandchildren, and her husband. They hadn't had the easiest of relationships, in fact, it had been quite rocky, yet they made it work, going on 50-plus years together. Then came the time when he got sick and passed away. Before he did, however, he came to accept Christianity as his faith, something he had rejected throughout his life. Life went on for everyone, including my great-grandma. Yet in her eyes, she had grown this sadness and weariness. One night, a few months after her husband's death, she dreamt that she was alone lying in bed. Stepping through the door, her late husband appeared, quite alive and in good health. He offered her his hand and in a gentle tone said, Come, I've come to pick you up. Let's go. She took his hand and began walking with him. The next morning, she got up as always, makes a nice breakfast for herself and her daughter, who is the only one present in the moment. At the dinner table, my great-grandma tells her about this weird dream, and after the initial shock of it, they laughed it off. That night was her last... When I first heard the story, I thought it was only that, a story. Yet in recent years, I've heard more and more stories from friends and family of other elderly couples who have had dreams of their past loved ones picking them up the night before they die. Hmm. I don't know if it's the same phenomenon that appears in other towns on the island, but in my town, most families who have had an old couple die within a short time span of each other have a story like this to share. Wow. I think that's really sweet in a lot of ways. very very cute
0: thank you for writing in
1: uh so julio writes thank you so much for reading our stories i hope that you enjoyed them as much as we enjoy listening to all of the stories and myths that you share with us from week to week
0: julio and jose thank you for writing in yeah it was so good i love those
1: stories
2: so this story comes to us from kayla and it is titled creepy daycare stories haunted toys in my classroom
1: kids are always creepy just no matter what Bring it.
2: I work in a daycare in the one-year-old room, so it's pretty much filled with different sounds, noises throughout the day, and there's always music playing for the kiddos.
1: That seems like a nice daycare.
2: The other day, my coworker Kelsey and I were giving the kiddos a snack, and a toy monkey that sings when you put different outfits on him started to randomly sing. No.
0: No. Furby.
2: The monkey was on the shelf, and no one was near him, and I would have brushed it off As if the toy had just been being weird, if it had not gone through his cycle of songs for five minutes, pausing in between just long enough to freak us out each time he did it. He was quiet the rest of the day and we thought nothing more of it until today, March 14th. This email (laughs) came to us. So hopefully
1: almost a month later.
2: Hopefully, it, it, it's, it's all right. Hopefully, everything has worked itself out. This
0: haunting was unending like pie. <laughs> Boom, a,
1: perf- so a perfectly bad. timed pie yeah. reference.
2: The monkey was still on the shelf, and we have another toy monkey that swings and sings when you press his shoe. and ju- And just as snack time was about to start, the shoe monkey starts to go off untouched. And as he started to sing his song, the shelf monkey started his cycle no! as well.
1: I don't like that. I don't like that. I at should all.
2: mention at this point, both monkeys have been turned off. And needless to say, they have been removed from the classroom. <laughs> oh,
1: good. A <laughs> smart
0: choice. As an adult, you choose what your hauntings are and you can uh you can eliminate ones that you can eliminate.
1: So like this is my problem with like the nineties movement of like kind of Kind of complex like electronic toys, but also at the same time, they're still pretty cheap. So of course they're going to act out and like malfunction and stuff like that. Well now, so, are
2: you talking like in the vein of Furbies? Yes,
1: in the vein of Furbies.
0: Mm, yeah. Because
1: this is this is a monkey doll that it reacts to the different clothes you put on it. So it has to have like a little bit of semblance of technology, but it doesn't have to be good technology. So I'm convinced that ghosts are taking over technology or it's just malfunctioning it's one of those two i wonder
0: if in the future when sensors and robotics are better if our like kids or grandkids are going to be like wow our gen parents generation was so stupid they just like had bad tech and they thought it was haunting all the time lol
2: what if it is just a dark toy story we're dealing with here
0: because
2: <laughs> they don't explain why all those toys are sentient
0: yeah but like toy story they spend a lot of time trying not to be found out it seems like these toys are either in some kind of warfare to like sacrifice one another to the human gods or mm. they are trying to uh, like blow up their spot and take over somehow
2: maybe it's more of a uh uh, toy soldiers which mm. was the pg-13 or our version of toy story <laughs> can't remember I, it was definitely quite crude i remember so it's definitely pg-13 uh but it that was that was a wild trip maybe it, maybe it's more of a that situation than a toy story situation maybe so
1: uh so i have another one and Ooh. this is from a listener named Addie, and it is titled the woozle okay I need reactions to the woozle.
2: Is the woozle a Dr. Seussian character? Woozle wobble, but he don't fall
1: down? Woozle wobble, but he don't fall down. You got it. That's just what the email says. Oh, uh, the email goes. Hi, Amanda, Julia and Eric. My name is Addie, and I recently started listening to your podcast. and I've been binge listening to the episodes ever since I first heard it as I am a closeted mythology nerd. Don't be closeted about it. Be Be free with your love of mythology. Yeah, I've been debating sending in my family's urban legend as it is not known outside of my family, but I caved and decided to send it anyway. So this is the story of The Woozle, and it begins in Wheeling, West Virginia. My mom's side of the family has been visiting Ogley Bay Park in the Rolling Hills every summer since the late 1960s. As our family is Irish Catholic, you can imagine how big these gatherings are. Amanda Mm -hmm. can attest to large families. When my generation uh, was young in the early 2000s, our parents took it upon themselves to instill fear and mystery to our yearly reunions. You gotta. During uh, the childhood of our parents, there was a park ranger whose name was Ranger Ron. Ranger Ron was a recluse and often expressed disdain for his job and his constant interaction with those visiting the park. He was in charge of the observatory telescope and therefore lived as a nocturnal creature. Being the deranged, secluded, and creepy man that he was, Ranger Ron decided to torment the children of the park. I always pick the creepy ones, I'm sorry. Oh, geez. After going out to the woods surrounding the park, Ranger Ron killed various animals to use their hides to create an elaborate costume that came to be known as the Woozle. Not much is known about the Woozle's actual appearance other than it was about nine feet tall, hairy, and had beady red eyes. Uh-oh. As small kids, this image became one of terror. The frightening aspect was enhanced by the annual woozle hunts. Can you imagine no. your par- your parents and your family members putting on a woozle hunt? Just- uh uh-uh. oh. Uh-uh. Oh, God. These late night walks would begin at 11 p.m. and took place on the darkest night of the week.
0: You know, this really is like the anti-Easter egg hunt. I was uh, recently reminiscing about Easter egg hunts in that it was super fun as a kid and then you stop being able to do them and then like that's all, but... I'm I'm amazed that every Easter egg hunt does not end in the discovery of a dead body because you're just like rooting around in all of the areas that you would think kids like imagine the opening of a CSI episode. There's like a sweet kid with an Easter basket. They look down and then there's like an eyeball, you know, like that. That is
1: how I don't know. I just I I think it's it's a great way to ask for people to uncover all your secrets. Yeah, I was going to say that sounds like a uh, special holiday version of Law and Order. Mm hmm. So two of my uncles would gather us all as we tromped through the woods around the park looking for the infamous woozle, all the while being told the terrors that the woozle had inflicted on the previous generation. During these walks, two other uncles were hidden throughout the woods with the job of being the woozle. They would be throwing rocks and pushing over dead trees, sometimes even climbing up the trees to throw the occasional pine cone at one of their nieces and nephews. The two sets of uncles had walkie-talkies and used them to create ominous noises and growls just to frighten our young minds. After about an hour, our hunt would conclude as we walked back to the cabin without proof of the creature and horrifying ideas that would not allow us to sleep. Needless to say, the idea of the woozle was a terrifying, yet enticing aspect of my childhood. While this legend does not expand past my family, I thought it would be fun to share just how much my uncles put the effort into scaring the small members of their family. Thank you for creating such a fun podcast and indulging in my secret mythological passion. Aww. It's very cute. It's it's like creepy, but also very cute. I think that's the perfect I was, balance. I was not creeped out. <laughs> that's that's good. I'm glad you're not totally creeped out. It'd be worse if it was like, yeah, we used to do this all the time. And then one of my cousins disappeared.
2: <laughs> exactly. That's what I was worried could happen. But it, it, it was quite pleasant. We're good.
1: All right, Amanda, I think you're up for the last one. Absolutely. And I was
0: so moved by this uh, these tales of Irish and Scottish legends that I thought I would close on one as well. Ooh. So this comes from Callum, who writes to us about mermaid corpses, Scottish werewolf communism, and gay myth greasers. Well, that's a lot of things that I love. Word. As I said, subject lines so important, and this is a great one. Mm-hmm. Hi, I'm a huge fan of y'all. and excited to finally write in. However, I'm not here to talk about things that make people feel better because I'm Scottish and we don't have any of those. Fair. I thought I could send y'all some wild Scottish myths that I think are fitting with both the attitudes of Scotland and the Spirits podcast. My dad is from Scotland, but my mom is an American, and I've lived my whole life here in the U.S. However, as a child, we would occasionally visit my Scottish relatives, and they would often send us Scottish history and folktale books to keep us from becoming too American. My family mostly hails from the Hebrides Islands, an island chain so remote and sad that even the Scottish people think that it's a depressing place to live. Oh, wow, that's saying something. One of the more popular stories from the island tells of the Blue Men of Minch, mermaid-like people that dwell in the waters between the islands and mainland Scotland. Like most Scottish folklore creatures, their number one priority was fucking up your day, and most stories about them involve shipwrecks and sailors getting dragged to a watery grave. Sure, checks out. Another mermaid myth from the island is a much more recent, a supposedly true event recorded in a Scottish newspaper some 70 years after it maybe happened. (laughs) The story goes that sometime in the 1830s, a group of people were gathering seaweed on the beach when they saw a strange human-like figure swimming nearby. Mm -mm. A few other people claimed to see the creature that day, with some going so far as to try and catch it without success. Don't do that. Don't, don't do it. Don't, don't fuck a sea god. Don't catch a sea creature. And super don't try to like steal fish that that creature should be eating. Mm Mm-hmm. However, later that day, a local teenager saw the thing swimming and took the opportunity to partake in Scotland's national pastime, Homicide. What? <laughs> Listen, Scotland, I feel bad. This is not me saying this. This is one of... This is Callum, uh, who is a, a dual, you know, patriot <laughs> of your Scotland people. and the US. So he threw a rock at the creature and hit it on the back. And two days later, its body washed up on the beach. <gasps> No. It was described as being about the size and stature of a small child, uh, creepy, with a scaleless salmon-like tail in place of legs. Oh, my oh boy. God. Have I ever considered what a mermaid tail looks like without scales on? Nope. Am I
1: ever going to think about that again? Also, no. I might. I, I imagine it's shark-like or or like a dolphin, you know, like it's a, a smooth, smooth boy. I know sharks are not actually smooth, just before the internet corrects me, but it looks smooth. I don't know. I just like, I pictured like like a denuded chicken breast and I didn't like that
0: at all. Gross. The creature was apparently given a proper Christian burial, <laughs> lol, and its <laughs> grave course. is said to be intact somewhere on the island of Benbecula today, though naturally no one knows where. Another story I wanted to share was the myth of the wolver. So the Herpedes Islands have been run under what is basically feudal law for a concerningly long amount of time. And Uh-oh. the land where farmers live and work was owned by someone called a laird, who was often a rich English person. The farmers were only allowed to live there so long as they continued to turn to profit, while the lairds had control of the land. That was these farmers' livelihoods handed, them, handed to them by family members. The laird on the island where my family lives was a formidable Englishwoman named Lady Cathcart, which, can we take a moment to appreciate how gothic horror that name is? It's very good. I, I imagine yeah. that she does own a haunted castle. Probably. You know, I love how feudal systems were developed before capitalism, and capitalism ultimately is just, like, like they're, they're the perfect just instantiation of how extreme th- the system can get. Anyway. However, we went to visit our family in the summer of 2016, and they informed us that Lady Cathcart was gone, and the farmland now belonged to the islanders, and the islands were currently governed in a quasi-socialist town hall style. However, they were worryingly vague about how this change had gone down. When asked what happened to Lady Cathcart, they would just say, in the calmest of old Scottish lady voices, and therefore I'm picturing McGonagall, that, oh, she's gone away. And when we passed by the Cathcart mansion, again, that name is so on the nose, it was decrepit and looked abandoned. So I'm not entirely sure they did kill her somehow. This would be very on brand for Scotland. I think that's like a euphemism. It's gotta be a euphemism. Oh, she's she's gone away. I mean, I would assume that that meant there was like a pregnancy out of wedlock if this person wasn't like, you know, a, a long history of living there and likely no longer, you know, is able to get pregnant. But anyway, this would be very on brand for Scotland as brutally murdering an unpopular leader and never mentioning it again is essentially our history in a nutshell. Anyways, weird forms of socialism are not new for these people and their version of the werewolf myth is essentially a hairy. Karl Marx. The people of the Herpides at one point believed that humans evolved from wolves. Eat shit, Darwin, we did evolution first. <laughs> and not how evolution works, but I support the sentiment anyway. Um, believed that the halfway point on this evolutionary scale was a half-wolf, half-human creature called the wolver, which, unlike the actual missing link, was believed to still be living alongside humans. But instead of This
2: is I this should be taught in schools.
0: No, I, Eric. We have enough love problems the with creationism and <laughs> I evolution. I fully
2: support a new education system, which this is Bio 101. The wolver.
0: It's it's a very good it's a very good idea because you don't even know the best part about the wolver yet. Instead of being a scary monster from hell, these werewolves would leave fish on the windowsills of needy families, making mm. them perhaps the first of a long tradition of hairy Scottish communists. Oh, I love it.
1: I've, I've heard of the Wolver before. I'm glad that we got an email about it. I want to touch on it a little bit further at some point. but
0: And finally, Callum says um, that we should read Autobiography of Red by Anne Carson, which mm-hmm. is a verse novel that retells the story of Hercules and Garon in an alternate, possibly post-apocalyptic world where Garon is a Canadian boy with red skin and wings and Hercules is his bad boy leather jacket wearing boyfriend hot yes so that's a lot that is a lot that is the mythological gay greaser um in this uh in this email so what a wild ride really appreciated this one thank you everywhere appreciate it thank you
1: and i think that's is that it for us today that's about all ending on a vision
0: of uh of supernatural socialism i think is the best way to leave our listeners for another week yeah what else could we possibly give them besides that Overthrow the means of production. And remember, stay creepy, stay cool. Thanks again to our sponsors. Get 25% off your Stitch Fix items when you keep the whole box at stitchfix.com spirits. Bombus is gonna change the way you think about socks. Get 20% off your first order at bombus.com slash spirits. Link is also in the description. And Skillshare is our online learning community where you can learn and teach just about anything skillshare.com slash spirits two will get you two free months of skillshare premium